When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Barca Talk. I'm Brian. Uh, I'm one of your hosts. And joining me is the, your other host, uh, Gabriel Quiroga. Hey, Brian and fellow Kules. Um, how are you doing, Brian? I'm doing well. I've had an amazing weekend, actually. Uh, my girlfriend's been out of town. And so I've had the house all to myself. And I've been working on woodworking projects and kind of getting ahead on school stuff. And I got this sweet new microphone that's very professional level. I don't know if anyone else can really hear the difference. I can feel a, a very big difference right now. So, you know, the production quality on this podcast is about to go up about 40% just because I got this new microphone. But yeah, like yesterday I built a shelf in my uh, in my basement because I got my tools back from Michigan last week. And uh, very exciting. What's How are you? What's What's your... What's your week been like? Well, I've been uh, I've been staying at my sister's house in San Luis Obispo, which is in between Los Angeles and San Francisco. And currently, I am recording here at a Holiday Inn Express in beautiful San Dimas. Wow, you really you really went for it. Yes, exactly. And I don't know if you know Brian, but San Dimas High School football rules. I've heard of that. And so I'm here visiting family, and uh, after we're done with the podcast, I'm going to go back to this family barbecue. So looking forward to some really good food and uh, watching some football as well. You're going to eat 10 more pounds of food? <laughs> That's the plan. Uh, exactly. Well, we've so we've had a good week. You're traveling. You're visiting family in California. And I, I should say I love San Luis Obispo. I've, uh, I've stayed at the Madonna Inn several times. I'm a big fan. I love San Luis Obispo. But I'll also, you know, I want to talk about this real quick. It's not specific to our podcast, but it's just the news is driving me a little bit crazy with all these weather events. You know, last week, Harvey just tore through Texas, parts of Louisiana, and now Hurricane Irma is coming up on Florida. It's going to dump buckets and buckets of rain, and a lot of people are going to be in trouble. And I was giving some money the other day to Red Cross, and last week I gave some money to Open Hands. And I just want to tell everyone out there listening, um, it's really bad out there. Plenty of people are evacuating, and some people are in good positions, and some people have flood insurance or whatever, but really, it just it's really hard out there. Uh, a lot of people are going to be hit very hard, and they need your help. So, uh, in the words of Trevor Noah, thoughts and prayers are great, but first, send money. Please send money. Yeah, definitely. The people definitely need your help, um, especially with Houston last week and now with Florida. Um, anything you could do to help will definitely help them in recovery. Yeah, I would say probably maybe donate to Red Cross. There's We're going to put a link to the uh, Red Cross donation link on our uh, Facebook page, but uh there are tons of organizations who you can uh, donate money to who will help people who are going to be hit by this by Irma and people who have already been hit by Harvey. You know, even though the hurricane has passed, people are going to be feeling the effects of this for a long time. And anything you can do to shorten that period of time. I mean, just think about all the people who are still dealing with the aftermath of Katrina. And that was what, like 10 years ago? We're a Barcelona show, and Barcelona is about sport, but it's also about society, and it's a, they have the foundation about charitable work, and uh, I wanted to bring a little bit of that 
into Barca talk. Okay, so the first thing that I want to get into today is actually um, about that we just came back from international break. La Liga has resumed, all the club, all the leagues have resumed. Um, and it just got me to thinking about how much more I like club football than international generally, but especially during those international breaks. You know, like summer tournaments are fine. I love a good World Cup or right. a Euro or a Copa America, but that's in the summer. But like two games in one week and interrupting the club schedules is like for me at best a necessary evil. What what are your thoughts on international versus club? So I think they definitely need to change the schedule. I think it needs to either be more about like after four games or five games just to have a little bit of flow with the league. Because we just had two games and it's international break. So I totally agree with you. It's just kind of, uh, it's a necessary evil, but also it just breaks up the flow of, you know, we're just getting into the season and then all of a sudden we have a break. Um, the other thing too is that as an American, our team sucks, right? So our team is not that good. We're not going to really win any World Cups or any Copa Americas or anything like this. And so that's why it's more difficult for me because I used to always follow the U.S. team as much as possible. And I just don't have any, um, any, like, I just don't care as much anymore because we just, it's not very fun to watch. So this gap now is just, you know, I'm just, I just want more La Liga, you know? And so, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a necessary evil, as we said, but, um, you know, they have to qualify just because there's so many, there's so many countries in Europe. They need this time to play and uh, get ready for the World Cup that's coming up. Yeah, I think that the scheduling is the main issue. We could probably forgive it a little bit more if it was a little deeper into the season. Let us get a little bit of flow going four or five weeks, like you were saying. But yeah, two weeks and then suddenly they all have to fly away and some of them have to fly very far. And I was listening to the uh, commentators on BN this weekend uh, covering the La Liga match talking about you know how jet lag can really affect your play for even as long as a couple of weeks and that plays into it also definitely you know like for example we have Messi he goes back and forth to Argentina like nothing I mean that's a long long fly. I mean I just went to California and for me I'm still jet lagged you know and I don't have to play any sport or anything I just have to eat 10 pounds of food you know and I'm still jet lagged you know so these players that go back and forth, you know, to Uruguay, to Brazil, you know, that's a pretty long distance. And the other thing, too, is during this international break, they really only play two games. So it's almost like they have so much time for these two games and then they come back. Yeah, it to me, it just seems like a lot of time. And, you know, what are you going to do, though? There's nothing you can do because we you need these matches for the upcoming World Cup. So it's it is what it is. Right. And it, and it's the imperialism of FIFA interfering with things have you considered instead of just flying to california from spain and eating a bunch of food and sleeping a lot maybe if you hit it if you if you got out on the pitch and kicked the ball around maybe you'd recover from jet lag a little faster well yeah i mean yesterday i ran six miles to the pacific ocean so i do do some exercise besides eating but like i'm just saying i don't have to play a world cup qualifier then turn around and go back to barcelona and then play another match so definitely jet lagged you know the distance especially i i'm always so impressed with messi how often he comes to Argentina for the World Cup qualifiers to South America and then is in basic tip-top shape for the La Liga matches. He's a machine. Other players may, other players may take longer and other players on the team don't have to go as, as uh, uh, greater distance. You know, maybe Umtiti, you know, for France, he just has to go from uh, Barcelona to France, which is really like an hour flight and then comes back fresh as a daisy. So, but again, this is, you have, we have to do these ma- uh, international breaks to have uh, the qualifiers for World Cup for the next summer, which 
I always love the World Cup. So yeah, I do enjoy a, a World Cup, and it looks like I, I am a big supporter of Spain, and it looks like Spain is going to be a real a real contender this year. Not like the last time, or not this year, but next World Cup. Not like that shit show last time. So yeah, I saw that you were on some trail um, around around Central California. You and you ran that. Yeah. So there's this like amazing trail that's uh, in San Luis Obispo in Avila Beach. It's called, and the trail is actually called Bob Jones Trail. And it's about um, three miles from the start and then three miles back or maybe two and a half, something like this. But you go to the ocean and then back. And it's such an incredible run. It's like one of my favorite runs in the world, essentially, because it has elevation. It's really pretty. Plus, you get to see the ocean. So it's everything as a runner that I like to have in my runs. Nice. Well, so a couple of things that we're going to get into today, we're going to talk about some news items that I found interesting. But we got a lot of really wonderful um, input feedback uh, requests from listeners this week. And uh, we're going to talk about all of those, but we're going to get to those a little bit later. Right now, I want to talk about the things that I want to talk about, which are, <laughs> for, first and foremost, uh, I feel like there have been some some sort of false controversies uh, coming up in the press this last week. So, for instance, um, Bartomeo last Tuesday said that an agreement was in place, quote, in principle with Iniesta to renew his contract. But then Iniesta, like right when he was getting into the airport in Barcelona, coming back from international break, they kept asking him about it. And all he said was no. And then sport, they played that off as like some kind of off the cuff response. And even though the deal wasn't done or signed that he wanted to stay with the club, and it turns out that, you know, they just he said no because he hasn't actually signed a contract. He didn't get into any details. But of course, we know that that Iniesta like loves Barcelona and he, maybe he's thinking about his future a little bit more right now. But the, I don't think that necessarily has to do with um, with the club as much as it does his own his own career. But also, this is like another item on the same theme. You know, back in July the club announced that Messi would sign a contract extension and they they basically said that he had all but signed it and he still hasn't signed a contract extension. And of course, you know, people are always talking about some potential Messi exit, but they often talk about that. And I'm just wondering, is this situation any different than the others? And I do think that there is right now because of the the no confidence vote that's happening. And then Sid Lowe, one of my favorite commentators, was talking about how, in his estimation, Messi is probably not signing and not saying anything about it because he doesn't want to be involved in any way in this political end of things. Like, he doesn't want to be used as a pawn because if he signs now, well, then Bartomeu can point to that and say, look, we got Messi to sign his contract extension. You should really not – you shouldn't try to vote me out. Yeah, this is, um, you know – it's this is like the dictator controlling the press type of thing, right? So like last week, Bartomeu came out in sport and he had his hands crossed and it's just like mission accomplished, you know? Like that's the kind of uh, that was the headline of it, you know? And it's just the thing for me is like, yeah, I think they're going to sign, right? Iniesta and Messi are going to sign, right? And like you said, Messi doesn't want to sign right at this moment because like he's if he signs and it gives Bartomeu this huge victory and if he's if Messi uh supports another candidate, that candidate's automatically going to win. So it's really difficult. Messi's in a difficult position with that. And then also I just don't like this back and forth. Like you don't have to keep saying that, "Oh yeah, it's going to happen, it's going to happen" and then not happen. I mean, remember what 
uh, the board said about Neymar. They're like, is he going to leave? They're like, 200%. He's not leaving. And where is he now? He's in Paris. So these type of things, you know, just it's this like political game that's always going on right now with the board this whole summer and last summer. And it needs to stop. They just, you know, especially with this um, no confidence coming in, Bartomeu's pulling out the guns in the press and trying to get everything in front. And especially now that Barca is winning and looking really good. Now we don't know what's going to happen. Now it's going to, it's a little bit more in flux and we'll see how many signatures uh, Benedito gets. Yeah. And I think, I do think that the best thing that either Iniesta or Messi can do right now is to do nothing because their contracts are up at the end of this year. They have the entire year to, to deal with this. They can do this at a later time, but right now there are some things going on within the club, but off the pitch that they don't want to be a part of. And I think that's really smart on their part. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. I mean, you know, I think the first step right now is to see how many signatures Benedito can really get. And then from there, they'll be able to have a better idea of what's going to be the next step off of that. If he doesn't get enough signatures, then obviously Bartomeu is going to stay. And then it's, it is what it is. Right. But if he gets enough signatures for the no confidence, then all of a sudden that even puts a little bit more flux into who's going to be the next president and all, all the things that could come about. Yeah. So on that topic, moving forward, uh, I wanted to talk about the no confidence vote because it is actually now literally underway. Um, Benedito picked up the forms from the club and I didn't realize this. They, they actually, like for each person who signs, it's not just like a petition where you just sign your name on a line. It's a whole form. So the club, they uh, they sort of closed out the electoral registry and counted the membership at 110,648. And 15% of that is 16,570. So then they made available to Benedito 33,140 individual forms, which is double what is necessary. But I didn't even realize that they had to have individual forms for everybody doing it but it's actually underway and the campaign has its own twitter account now so if anyone's listening is interested in that the twitter account is at uh, vote de censura that's v-o-t-d-e-c-e-n-s-u-r-a and i saw a tweet on that account uh, just yesterday that might be of interest to some of our listeners it's uh, one of the few tweets in english on that account so it's real easy to spot and it's calling out to any socies outside of catalonia who want to vote they have ways to get in touch and do that, apparently. So check out that Twitter account if you're a soci outside of Catalonia. But they had set up uh, four locations on Saturday uh, in Barcelona to gather signatures, including the Camp Nou before, during, and after the Espanyol match. So what do you think about where that where that's at right now? I mean, I personally think he's going to be able to get the, the necessary 15%. Uh, just the way it's going about it. Um, you know, Benedito's a very organized businessman. So the way he's doing this and organizing it in a really uh, non-Spanish way, um, I think he's going to get that 15%. I mean, like you just said, that form, you know, that's so like 30 years ago, you know, you can, they could set up an online si- uh, signature type of thing, but of course they wouldn't. Um, so yeah, the form is, you know, you got to fill that out. And uh, I, I definitely think they're going to get the 15%. I hope as well, um, especially if they do it before and after the games, they'll have a lot of socies that are there. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, um, if Benedito gets those signatures, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Bartomeu and we'll see what happens with the board. Let's talk more about the Spanish way. What's the Spanish way? So the Spanish way is think about the slowest process known to man. And that is the process. So, for example, uh, here in the U.S., when you want to sign up for a bank account, 
let's say like my bank, my U.S. bank is Wells Fargo. You can open an account online. It's very simple. You know, it, you probably get the card in two days. Like it's a very straightforward process from A to Z. Well, in Spain, if you want to open a bank account, you have to go to the physical office. And that office from now on is going to be your office. So if you want to do any logistical stuff, you have to do the, go to that office. You can't do anything online. So think about that of the headache. Let's say if you want to change your address, if you want to add a spouse, you have to always go to the office. You can't do anything online. So that is the Spanish way. So I imagine these forms probably have name, last name, address, you know, all the information you could ever have, previous address of your last three apartments, maybe things like this, just for, you know, just to make it um, as as inconvenient as possible. So that's that's basically the Spanish way. Okay, yeah, and Benedito is going about this in a, a much more streamlined way, a way that would make sense to all of us modern people. So he said that he already has the support of at least 14,000 people, and I think that he'll probably get the 16,570 or whatever that he needs to trigger the actual vote. So if he gets the signatures that he needs now to take it to a vote, do you think that he'll get the two-thirds that he's going to need or not he, but the two-thirds that would be necessary to remove Bartomeu? Or do you think that there might just be enough pressure, even if they don't hit two-thirds, do you think there will be enough pressure on Bartomeu to then resign? Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, a lot of the Soces are old people, and the old um, population don't really have a problem with Bartomeu as much. It's more about the younger generation on social media because that's who you're reading. So that's interesting because, you know, you get the 15%, and then the next step is to get two-thirds. So we'll see. I mean – if he gets the 15%, it's just going to put so much pressure on Bartomeu that I think it's going to make him realize that he needs to, you know, clean up his act and clean up the board a little bit. And that's what you really want if, if anything comes out of this. Yeah. I guess the ultimate goal is just for, for Bartomeu and the board to just do a better job. So if, even if this process could just get a light bulb to go on over his head to get his act together, that would be fine. Exactly. And that's the thing, right? We want to just uh, shake the shit out of him, right? You know, that's that's what you want the associates to do. So hopefully he'll get, um, you know, the wake up call, you know, and maybe make some changes in the board, you know, maybe add a person who actually speaks English onto the board. So that could help with negotiations. And we'll see what happens. You know, I'm, I'm curious because, again, this 15 percent doesn't seem like a, a hard number to attain. And then we'll see what happens with the two thirds. Yeah, the two thirds will be the obviously the bigger number. Now, okay, so then the last thing that I want to talk about before we actually, again we got a lot of really cool questions and things from listeners, but just one other little thing that I want to talk about before we get into those things is uh, speaking of signings and contracts and the club. Uh, Carlos Alenia has signed a contract extension. Now he's only nineteen years old. And he's already seeing minutes with the first team, but he hasn't been officially promoted as of yet. He's still officially on Barca B. Um, but this deal keeps him at the club for three more years, and uh, there's the option for another two if he's promoted to the first team. And that promotion would also come with an increase in his buyout clause to 75 million euros, which in this market, or at least in the market we just saw, that's like nothing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, obviously, I'm happy that he ex uh, extended the contract extension. But again, uh, this doesn't excite me currently because I don't know if he's ever going to find time in the senior team, just the way where the board is going with that direction. So yeah, you know, it's great that he signed the extension, 
but we don't know if he's going to go to another La Liga team to get some minutes or if he's going to get promoted to uh, the senior team. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm excited that – well, not excited. I'm glad he signed the contract extension to, to stay with Barca, but we'll see what happens and where he gets that experience, either in another La Liga team or through the senior team. What would you like to see, like if it was your call to make? I would like him to get some time on the senior team. Yeah, me too. I mean, keep him, you know. Uh, there's nothing like – practicing with the best players in the world to up your game so he'll get that interaction every day and then maybe he may not get that much time playing but at least he he sees what Messi does he sees what Iniesta does during practice during prep uh, when they travel how to act as a professional these are all things that as a youngster you, you have no idea right and so just seeing by examples it's 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 priceless, you know, and so that hopefully will help to lead with uh, his maturation and hopefully getting some more time and just becoming a really solid Barca player for the future. Yeah, there are all those practical reasons that you just brought up you know, why it would be good to have him playing on the first team rather than being loaned out, even if he doesn't see as many minutes, but rather than being loaned out to another club, it would be good for these practical reasons to just see model behavior by all of his heroes but also like for me there's this kind of i i have a kind of romantic streak in me you know and there's something about how he's been at barcelona since he was seven years old some people are have have uh, compared him to iniesta particularly in his intelligence on the field not so much necessarily like his moves but but his intelligence is ability to read the game and things like that. And from what I've seen, he's he has a lot of talent that could really grow if he gets more minutes on the first team. And this first team, not just some other club in La Liga in the first division, but in on this on this squad, like you were saying. But I, yeah, the romantic side of me also just wants him to just stay there, you know, so we can have like. Um, like a really pure Barcelona player. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we'll see. I mean, this is a really good kind of test for the board because we'll see how they treat Carlos Elena to see where what direction they're going to go. Because, you know, with the previous signings that we've had this summer, sending out Samper, these type of things, it's showing the wrong message to our Barca B players. So I'm always a proponent for my sports teams that I follow. I always want them to integrate the young rookies, the young people somehow to get them excited experience because that's ultimately going to lead to a longer career they're going to realize what it takes us to be as a professional whatever sport it is but also just getting confidence you don't need to get confidence from playing 90 minutes but playing five minutes in a game and doing what you know good passing and these type of things will lead to a better uh, confidence and a stronger performance in the future yeah and i think he's gonna see more i think he's gonna see minutes with valverde and it's not that he wouldn't have if enrique had stayed on some people have criticized luis enrique in his three years for not playing the younger players very much but I, he did give some chances to some up-and-comers but I do think that um, that Valverde is more into that idea. And I think Valverde is probably going to be looking for opportunities as much as he can to incorporate Alenia into the squad as the as the season goes on. Yeah, again, you know, we'll, we'll see how they, they treat Carlos and we'll see how they what they do. And then we'll, we'll be able to foreshadow uh, with the next Barca B players how they'll be treated into the senior team. OK, so let's get into these listener comments. Um 
again, we got about five or so. So a lot of uh, really good questions or comments. Uh, and I'm, and we're just really appreciative to get those. So please keep them coming. Uh, now, this first one actually came from Max, Max Bluer on Twitter. Um, and he's at Max Bluer. That's B-L-U-E-R if you want to follow Max on Twitter. Um, he says, big talk that Leo Messi has an unhealthy amount of influence over Barca's transfer policy. A talking point at Barca Talk Pod? Yeah, so uh, I agree here. I, I think it is an unhealthy amount of influence. I think that whether it be Michael Jordan, Messi, Kobe Bryant, these ultimate superstars that stay uh, for the most part in one club and have won, um, they tend to usually have an unhealthy uh, influence over time. And I, it's really difficult because you want to make your superstar happy, but at the same time, at where is the line? Where is the line where the president has the ultimate power over the team? So I, this is where it's really difficult because Bartomeu is very unpopular, you know, so Messi can push his influence even more right now because all the Kool-Aids are going to support Messi or Bartomeu because Bartomeu has never played for Barcelona. So that's already the advantage that Messi has. Right. So uh, so really good uh, question by Max. Yeah, well, the the comment uh, he because he also linked to another tweet that had an article on it. It was an opinion piece uh, in El Confidencial, written by Kike Marin, where and the so Kike was saying that the whole mess with Coutinho, for example, came from the fact that Messi wanted him. So apparently, that's why the club just wouldn't let go of the idea of getting Coutinho, and they made three bids, four bids, even though every time Liverpool not only rejected the bid but said that at least publicly, that Coutinho is not for sale. You, you, can just, you can just stop. But they just kept coming. And that whole mess, according to this, this writer, is, be, is all because Messi said that he wanted him. And apparently he also says that, that Messi vetoed any interest in Inigo Martinez. Did he kill your father? <laughs> <laughs> Prepare to die. I know, right? In, every time I read that guy's name, that's, I do think about the Princess Bride. You, I can't lie there. But also, I read this article uh, to the best of my ability and with a little bit of Google Translate help. And it's one of the – the thing about Kike Marin that I've noticed is he seems to be kind of like a very well-skilled gossip. Like he doesn't support any of these claims with any evidence. And I have – you know, I have some journalism chops, some journalism background. I know what a what a sourced article looks like and what just – conjecture and speculative nonsense looks like um and it kind of looked like that so how does he know these things how did he how does he know these things to be true i i can't find anything else to corroborate this so maybe it's true though or at least to some degree uh, i'm sure Messi might have said something at least to somebody about what he would have liked to see uh, especially you know over the summer you had the switch over from enrique to valverde although really uh, I don't know what happened. I don't think uh, anybody outside the club or outside the boardroom knows how it went down. But really, the way you want these things to go down is you want the board to hire the new manager, bring in the new manager, talk to him about what he thinks the team's needs are, because he's the one who's going to be leading the squad for the next two, three years. And you got to take his input into account and do what you can for him rather than trying to you know, placate one player, even though they might be the center of your squad or the, the face of your franchise or any of that. Yeah, exactly. You know, I have a question for you. How many – do you know how many NBA championships Michael Jordan won as a player? A lot. 
Okay, so he won six. Okay. <laughs> How many NBA championships has Michael Jordan won as an owner of the Washington Wizards? Oh, not the Wizards, but of the Charlotte uh, Bobcats or whatever the hell the team is in Charlotte. Do you know? That that would be a zero, wouldn't it? That's a zero, right? So yeah. just because you're the top three player of all time in a position – and you're really talented at playing it doesn't mean you are equally as talented in being the general manager of the team. So this is where my, I'm will side with the board and the manager on this because they have a more overall vision of what they want to do with the team. Now, Messi can obviously have his input and tell him, but to rake him over the coals and tell them you have to sign Coutinho, you have to sign Coutinho. No, I'm sorry. I'd just be like, okay, thank you, Leo. We'll take that in consideration, and that's it, you know. Uh, but yeah, so we'll see. Like we said, with this whole no confidence, what happens with Bartomeu? And you know, it's the, this is like the ultimate pissing contest, right? Who has the most power, Messi or Bartomeu, right? So we're gonna see in a couple weeks. Yeah. Now, also, I do want to point out, we again, we don't know how much influence, if any, Messi actually had. But we do appreciate Max reaching out and asking us to talk about this. And, of course, if Messi did exert as much influence as this article seems to say he did, we would be against that. Yeah, I think we agree that we don't like that. that We don't think that's the way that things should be happening. Um, Exactly for the reason you pointed out. Just because Messi is one of the great players of all time doesn't mean that he necessarily is skilled in that particular area. All right, now we got another one. This came from Luke on Instagram, and he said, Can you guys talk about Verratti's ridiculous comment about Isco reaching a higher level than Messi? Really? He, he wrote that with the exclamation point and the question mark. Really? Messi has been at that level for 10 years. So thanks, Luke, for, for sending that in. So what Luke is talking about here is the fact that Marco Verratti got nutmegged really bad by Isco in the uh, Spain-Italy match, and then afterwards there were reports quoting Verratti as saying, I was taken aback by his performance. Not even Messi has come close to that level. Talking about Isco. I mean, Verratti uh, pumped the brakes a little bit there, right? Just, you know, just because you got used in one game, you don't have to, we don't have to say that Isco is the greatest of all time. I mean, Isco is definitely trending up. I get excited to watch Isco for Spain. I think He's a super talent. I think he's going to take over Iniesta's uh, reign as the midfielder uh, of heir apparent to the Spanish national team. And I am always scared when Isco's playing for Real Madrid against Barcelona. But we need to see the consistency of 10 years. Now, I know Verratti did not have his best game against Italy. You mean against Spain? Yeah, exactly. This isn't, sorry, yeah, against Spain. This isn't, you know, the sports take culture that we have now. It's like, oh my God, this is the greatest game. This is the greatest person. I mean, Isco's really good, really good, but he just needs to see it for the next 10 years. And then we can take these comments into consideration. Yeah, I mean, not only are they on different levels, but they're at different times in their careers. You know, like like you were just saying, Messi has all of these years behind him, every year incredible performances, one after another. And again, I, I really like uh, watching Isco play for Spain also, and I really am concerned when he's playing for Real Madrid because he is really good, and he seems to have really come alive this year, um, which is great for Spain. Uh, it's great for Real Madrid, which means it's uh, not so great for us. But we'll get, in, we'll get into that later about uh, the kind of week that uh, Real Madrid had, so that's nice. But yeah, I, I'm not even totally sure 
here's the thing. I'm not even totally sure that Variety even said this. It's like, I don't even trust the news anymore. But let's say he did, then yeah, like, there there are ways to save face, but that's not really one of them. I mean, because everyone knows that you're wrong. I mean, the only people who would agree with that are, are the ones who all, are already biased against Messi because he plays for Barcelona or whatever. Exactly. And where was this quote from? Is it from the Italian press when he was leaving the pitch? Because, you know, when they leave the pitch, they get the post-game interview sometimes. But the players aren't required to speak to the press after the match. So is this just an idea that was floated around? I mean, again, this is the problem with uh, football, with the two things. There's never reliable sources. And there's always these quotes floating around that are completely made up. And we don't know if they're completely true. Yeah. And it's funny. Before I started, before we started doing the podcast and before I started doing my own podcast before this, you know, I just watched games. That's all I did. I just watched games and it was great. You know, and then you start making a podcast and you realize, oh, there's some stuff that I guess I should probably talk about. And now I'm remembering why I didn't really want to talk about it in the first place. Because, again, don't get me wrong, like, I really appreciate Luke uh, sending this out. And we want to get more of these and we'll gladly talk about all of it. But it's funny, right? Because essentially what we're talking about is, does the press suck or not? Uh, Yes, they do suck. So, yeah, but yeah, exactly. We don't know. You know, this is just to sell newspapers is really what it is or catch headlines and catch website visitors. You see the variety thing. You're like, oh, my God, Isco Messi. Okay, click. And then you read and it's like it's just it's like TMZ for sports. You know what I'm saying? It's just the, the gossip that gets you to click. Yeah, exactly. And now that the transfer window is over, which is. I think the the sporting presses like um, that's like their orgy of of debauchery because they can just say whatever they want <laughs> and, and sell papers. But now that that's over, they have to find more creative ways. Yeah, I would say instead of orgy, it's their wet dream, right? Because they yeah. can just oh, like yeah, <laughs> good, yeah, yeah, wet dream, totally. So they can just invent these sources, these story headlines, just to get clicks and visitors to their website and have people read them. And then when you read them, you know, I'm I'm guilty of it. I'll see it on Twitter, and I'm like, oh, okay, this seems reliable. And I click, and I go, damn it, it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, okay, so here's another one. Uh, This came from Brandon in Los Angeles. Uh, He reached out to me through uh, Instagram. Also, for anyone out there who wants to like get in touch with us, uh, you should know that if you uh, if you get in touch via Instagram, I'm the guy who you're talking to, and if you get in touch via Twitter, Gabriel is the guy you're talking to. We we have that division of labor because. I hate Twitter. I really do not like using Twitter. And Gabriel really enjoys using Twitter. So he's the Twitter guy. I'm the Instagram guy. We both do Facebook. And um, email is uh, mostly me, but also Gabriel. All right. But this one came from Brandon in L.A. on Instagram. Uh, He says, if Neymar somehow cuts into Draxler's playing time, and this is at Paris Saint-Germain, and perhaps phases him or Di Maria out, do you see us, that is Barca, making a push for Draxler in the January window? And can we sign him and or Di Maria? I think that should be an absolute no right off the bat. Uh, But he goes on. He says, I feel Draxler is the best option to take us back to glory in the intermediate, though we might have to switch to a 1-3-2-4 for this to work. So, Gabriel, you should dig on this because you like the tactics talk. Obviously, Suarez up top, Dembele on the right, Messi middle, and Draxler on right. This is what Brandon said. I think maybe you meant left, Brandon. He's primarily a left winger. But anyway, um, 
he says, finishes, also, instead of Paulinho, why not give Carlos Alenia or Sergi Roberto that opportunity? He raises a lot of good points. <laughs> All right, so let's see. So the first thing, um, I don't think we should go after Drackler. Um, I think he's a good player, but I just don't see any playing time if he came onto the team. I don't think he's a better fit than Dembele or Delafeo. Um, I think I would rather give our younger players more time, Sergio Roberto having some time on the right side, this type of thing. Um, as far as the 4-2-3-1, yeah, that's the, the tactics that they're using sometimes. Uh, for example, uh, yesterday's match against Espanol, they went to the classic 4-3-3. So it really just depends now on the uh, opponent. I think they're going to the 4-2-3-1 when it's a more difficult match. So we'll see what they do against Juventus. Um, against Real Madrid, they tried the 4-2-3-1 as well. But again, you have Suarez at the top. You would have Messi in the middle. Um, you'd have Dembele, Delafeu, and then um, Busquets and Iniesta behind. So, you know, the 4-3-3 obviously is going to work better for us because we're just more comfortable that way. And again, I don't think Draxler would be that option. And of course, Di Maria, no, no thank you. As we would say, as we say in Spanish, we would say, pasa palabra, which means next. <laughs> so, so no, 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 thank you for Di Maria. Yeah, well, and I do think that that Neymar is probably, well, Neymar is getting all the minutes he wants. And I would imagine that might be affecting Draxler's playing time. Um, but that's their business. I, yeah, I don't think that, I think you're absolutely right. Every point you made about uh, Draxler being a good player, but not really um, needed at Barcelona right now, I, I think that's right, and he's not of the of the level that where we would go out of our way to get him. You know, he's not gonna he's not gonna change everything. I don't think. I think you're absolutely right. We'd be better off focusing on our young talent and bring and giving them opportunities. Um, and yeah, and definitely Di Maria, not at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, you know, the goal of the team is not to have so many superstars on the team that, for example, our Draxler is not getting playing time. We don't want that. We want to have our super 11 and then have these reserves, these young players to give bouts of time because of injury or opportunity. Um, we want to develop the young ones and have our strongest 11 as possible. So if we bring in Draxler or Di Maria, I mean, they're really not going to get that much playing time. Yeah. And now this last one, uh, this came in actually late last night. So it was a good thing, good thing that we hadn't recorded yet. Uh, we're, we're doing this on like Sunday afternoon at this point. This came another one from on Instagram. This came from Eric uh, and he brought this up. He says the question of Catalan independence and where it will leave Barca in La Liga is a concern I feel hasn't been addressed by Barca talk. And you are correct on that, Eric. Uh, but he does say, on a lighter note, we appear to be four points ahead of Real Madrid and on top of the table on points and goal differential. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but could there possibly be a better start to to the first half of the season for Sabarsa? Actually, let me reread that in Chandler voice. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but could there be a better start to the first half of the season? I think that reads better, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So what's uh, he talking about? What's he referring to here? What's he talking about? All right. So this always goes back to uh, Catalonia trying to get independence from Spain. So Catalonia is a province. Um, there's provinces in Spain, just like there's states here in the U.S. So imagine if California was trying to become independent. What would happen? Let's 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 do the analogy of the NFL. So let's imagine California wants to become an independent country. What would happen to the 49ers? What would happen to the Rams? Would they still play in the NFL? 
So that's the type of what we're, what we're talking about here. In the EPL, there are some teams from Wales, Swansea. They're not part of England, but they still participate in the English Premier League. So that's what would happen. Nothing would really happen because Barca is the premier club in the world. They, they would not uh, be eliminated from La Liga, but they would off, offer some different challenges. In my opinion, Catalonia is never going to become independent. So this is kind of a, this is always just talk uh, in Barcelona. So for, for me, I think it's, you know, it's a great question by Eric, you know, because some people don't know what's going on with the independence talk, but if they do become independent, they would never kick him out of La Liga. Yeah. And even the, uh, well, I think the reason that he brings this up right now is that, uh, coming up on October 1st, there's, there is a referendum planned like a vote. Uh, so not unlike Brexit for anyone who was following that shit show, but apparently even that referendum vote is is it's contentious because the people of Catalonia have called it and then the peop- the uh, authorities in Madrid saying no you can't do that only we can call an election <laughs> so they're they're already fighting about that but let's say that everything uh happened above board and let's say that people voted for Catalonia to uh secede from Spain and become its own sovereign nation even though right now the uh, regulations of La Liga dictate that that you can that you have to be a Spanish club, right? So if that were to happen, then uh, Barcelona would no longer be a club in Spain. It would be a club in a, a separate country, right? And so according to the rules right now, they wouldn't be able to compete in La Liga. But in the time that it would take between that vote happening and the actual process of separating, I mean, think about this: the Brexit vote happened what a year ago. And it still hasn't happened. And who knows if it actually even will. So even if even if an, a legitimate vote goes through, not to say that this vote is illegitimate, but there will be arguments over whether it is or not. But let's say it's totally legitimate. Everyone agrees that this is legit and Catalonia wants to separate and everyone agrees that, OK, that's what we're going to do. It's still going to take a year or more for that process to really happen. And during that time, La Liga can rewrite their rules because there's no way that they want to have that league. They don't want to have a league without Barcelona. But what's funny is the the president of La Liga has has said that uh, it would be very sad, and you know, they uh, La Liga wouldn't be able to have Barcelona in it if uh, Catalonia voted for independence. But he's against Catalonian independence, so he's saying that as some kind of weird political scare tactic. I mean, but l- let's be honest: if all of that happened, and that is really unlikely. <laughs> There's no way La Liga is going to let Barcelona go. Also, like, do the people of Catalonia want their own league where Barcelona wins every single year? Nobody wants that. They would be like the Harlem Globetrotters of the Catalonian League. Everyone else would be like a joke. Exactly. I mean, this is this is not going to happen. Uh, La Liga knows that Barcelona is worth too much money to kick them out. And also the president of La Liga, A, is a real Madrid fan, and B, is strongly um, conservative. So obviously he represents everything that is anti-Barcelona and anti-Catalonia independence. So he is going to say these type of things to scare for political votes and these type of things. You always have to remember in Spain, not only is it sport – but politics are integrated so like it's it's unlike we, what we have here in the U.S. We, sports are sports and politics are politics. But in Spain, Madrid, if you support Madrid, you, you support an idea of politics 
thinking as well and as uh, Barcelona as well. So that's just the way it is. All right. Thanks to everyone who uh, reached out to us this week. We're really happy to get all those messages and really happy to talk about all of that stuff on the show. So keep it up. It doesn't matter uh, what avenue you want to take. We'll accept anything. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email. Find us on at barsatalk.net and you can uh, find any way you want to reach us uh, through all of those channels. Getting into La Liga, let's take a let's take a snapshot of where we're at in La Liga in general after this weekend. Uh, some notable things that happened: Levante drew one to one with Teal Madrid on Saturday, making that two matches in a row that Los Blancos lost points in matches, especially uh, this last one that they really should have won. I mean, they they really should have beat Valencia, but Valencia is a good side. But they really, really should have beat Levante, and Levante drew them to a 1-1 draw. So that was pretty cool. Valencia and Atletico, um, also, they played each other to a scoreless draw. And Sevilla beat Abar, which isn't a huge surprise. And that left them with seven points after match day three. Um, also, Real Sociedad, um, they beat out their opponent. I forget who they played at this point. But they're starting off strong with three wins. And that makes them and Barcelona the only two teams with a perfect record so far. And we're only three games in. But at the moment, Barcelona are on top of the table, having edged out Sociedad with a better goal differential after that 5-0 routing of Espanyol. Yeah, so definitely um, so far a good start for Barcelona. Um, you know, with Madrid, uh, with Ramos having the um, red card suspension, Ronaldo as well, um, their team is really thin in the back. So that's why they haven't been performing as well. Um, but, you know, Great for the other teams to take advantage of it and help us out because it's giving us um, a little bit of a lead going forward because it's a long season. So we don't know. There's going to be peaks and valleys. So we'll see what happens. Um, so definitely good effort by Levante. Thank you. Definitely good round of games. Atletico Madrid again struggling. They always struggle in the beginning of the year. I don't know what their deal is, but they'll find their footing. They're always a strong contender. Uh, Cholo Simeone always has them playing tough. Um, we'll, you know, we'll see what's going to happen at the end of the year. But Valencia this year is definitely the surprise of the La Liga. Um, last year they were a joke. They were almost going to get relegated. They have, they finally have a real coach. And they're going to be a tough out this year. So they'll definitely be contending um, for the La Liga. Yeah, I think Sevilla also, you really need to keep an eye on them this year. You know, Jesus Navas has come back to Sevilla and I, I love Jesus Navas. You know, he's a little bit on the older side, but he's, you know, he was at Man, Man City. He's He's gone all around, but he came up in Sevilla. Before the game the other day on B-In, they did a little, um, little documentary, a little feature on Jesus Navas. He, you know, he came up all the way through the youth system at Sevilla, and I was kind of thinking of him. He's kind of like a Sevilla version of Iniesta or Xavi. You know, they like been at one club, did their whole youth career. Of course, he went away. He went to other clubs in his professional life, but now he's back home, so that has uh, another ring to it. But in a lot of ways, I was thinking of him as like a Sevilla version of Iniesta, and I, I think that we're gonna have to. Uh, keep an eye on Sevilla this year. Yeah, definitely. And again, I'm more, I'm always more worried the away matches. So away at Valencia, away at uh, Sevilla, those are going to be the tough matches. If we can get some points off of that, that's just going to extend our lead and give us a good, um, good momentum for the season. Yeah, and that uh, that stadium and the and the and the fans in Sevilla, there it's hard to go there and and get a win. Exactly, they are 95% Sevilla fans, and they barely give any tickets to the visiting teams. So it's definitely a really great home field advantage. It is funny and sad, though, to see the little like Barcelona supporter ghetto at the very top of the stands. There's like 
maybe a hundred people with their jerseys and their flags, and they're just kind of like, "Hey, yay!" Well, you know, you, I don't know if you know this, but um, let's. For, I'm always comparing the EPL with La Liga, but in EPL they travel better. The away teams always travel better. In Spain, it's not as easy to get around Spain. So the travel, uh, when they travel for the team is not as strong. So that's also another reason. So people from Barcelona to get to Sevilla, it's kind of difficult. You have to fly and it's just, you know, uh, it, and plus the games are so late at night. You know, you're talking Spanish local time, 8 p.m., 10 p.m. So again, that doesn't add to the uh, to bring visitors as well. Yeah, really. You know, I know how hard it is to get through to travel in Spain because I drove through Spain once, not 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 right through the middle, not through all of it, but we were in Barcelona and we drove down to Valencia and then we drove down to Granada, and then in one day we got up super early. In one day we drove from Granada all the way back to Barcelona, and it was beautiful. And at one point, I got a little bit lost. But, I mean, if you're going to get lost anywhere, the hills of uh, eastern Spain is, is a pretty good place to do it. Yeah, so the, the, the other thing, too, is like this from Madrid south, you can take the trains, the high-speed trains. It's pretty well connected. But going from Madrid north, uh, like to Pamplona or to San Sebastian, these type of things, it's not very well connected. So it makes it difficult. And so um, – in contradiction with England, it has a better train system that visiting fans can get to uh, parks very easily in one day and then come back. So that's that's the biggest difference. All right. Well, let's get into the Espanol match and let's let's talk about that. So the first thing that I would like to bring up, this is something that we talked about in a previous week, but I cut it out of the episode for my own obsessive, weird, compulsive reasons. But I want to talk about it now. And uh, for anyone in the U.S., I'm sure you're watching these Barcelona games on BN. And I guess, Gabriel, even when you're in Spain, you're watching them on BN. And let's talk about those goddamn in-game graphics on BN. Yeah, exactly. Um, we talked about this last time. Remember uh, when they when they introduced that graphics for hockey so you can see the puck better? Like that was an actual enhancement of the game where you can actually see the puck because sometimes you lose the puck. But here, I don't need to see the three triangle formation on the back line with the with the dots especially in the game when it's going live these goddamn graphics packages always piss me off like i just want to watch the game this happens in the nfl this happens in baseball they always just try to bring up these three-dimensional graphics in the field that pop up and i'm like it does not enhance my gaming experience just give me some more stats or give me something uh that's more relevant to what i'm seeing you know, I don't need to see – like I remember in the baseball one, they would put the graphics package in the outfield in like 3D. And I'm just like, really? I, how much does that cost? Like that doesn't – Yeah, right. And who cares? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And again, yeah, especially in-game. If you want to show that during a replay or especially maybe at halftime if you want to use it as a tool to show something about the tactics or something, that's fine. But not during the game. Just let me watch the game. I mean, are you trying to educate your viewers so that they realize that there's a line of people in the back who are there to defend? Do you really need to do that? But see, this is this is my pet peeve is that BN, this this same video feed is being shown in Spain as it's shown in the U.S. So the people in Spain, they know what's going on. And we're at a t we're at a moment now where American viewers don't need to always be educated about 
football or soccer. Like that's what I love about the NBC uh, Premier League because they just give you like it is. Like you're you know what it is, what's going on, and they don't treat you like a, a, a soccer baby. You know what I'm saying? Like oh, what's 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 this offside thing about? You know, it's like oh my gosh. Like anyone that's been watching now knows what offsides is. Just tell me when it is and when it's not during the match. But I don't need a 3D graphics package that cost. 30,000 euros to make, you know? Yeah, well, actually, that's a really good segue is talking about the offside rule. So let's talk about the actual match, the uh, the uh, Barcelona-Espanol match, which Barcelona won 5 to nothing, and it was very exciting for me to watch. It wasn't exactly the most exciting game because Barcelona were pretty dominant the whole time. You know, my girlfriend always says she wants to see a very even match where uh, the it's a very even matchup and you can't tell who's going to win. And uh, I agree with her in principle. I do love a good game like that. But if it's Barcelona, I'm perfectly happy for them to be dominant for all 90 minutes. But let's talk about the offside rule. So the first goal, clearly Messi was offside. Well, this is the thing. It's not clearly, right? Like, this is the thing. When you watch it in super slow-mo, he's offside. But the thing is, you could go either way just because how fast the action is, right? But yes, in slow motion on the amazing being graphics package he was offsides right so yeah but first of all let's just talk about Rakitic and the nice pass and Messi obviously finishing as he always does top left corner just an amazing finish yeah I mean I never mind whether the lines see when I when I was a kid when I was refereeing we called them linesmen apparently they're called something else now but I'm just going to call him the linesman for now until i look up what they're supposed to be called but like whether the linesman got the call right or wrong and like you were saying in in fact it was happening so fast that you probably couldn't say one way or the other whether he got the call right or wrong you know he did he did his best because he doesn't have the ability to you know freeze time like like cameras do but anyway that pass from rakitic was just so beautiful as a uh, ray hudson would call it it was a dagger pass and perfectly weighted because Messi received it like it was nothing. You know, you see these passes a lot where they're trying to cut through a lot of players quickly, so they put a lot of pace on the ball. And sometimes they put a little bit too much, and then the, when the receiver is trying to, to trap it, it bounces off. It was just, they had, there was just too much gas on it. But this one went through quickly, but it was still perfectly weighted so that Messi could get it. No problem. I mean, of course, he has a wonderful first touch, so he can control a lot of balls that other players can't. But still, just the way he controlled it and turned and got the shot off, I mean, the whole thing was just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, so that's been one of the biggest complaints about Rakitic in the last maybe two seasons is that he never takes a chance with his passing going forward. And so you saw finally he took a chance. It went through. I don't know if you see the replay. It goes through, you know, inches past someone's toe and it just hits Messi perfectly. Messi obviously stops it perfectly. I was going to tell you, I was, I had an interesting uh, experience with this game. I actually listened to this on the radio driving down to San Dimas with my dad and my mom. Uh, if for any of you who don't have the FC Barcelona app, download it. It's amazing. You can listen to any radio, English, Spanish. We were listening in Spanish on the car ride and the announcers could not talk more about how Messi played in this game. So uh, download that application. You can listen to the game anytime. Just a pretty plug for that uh, app. Amazing. Yeah, that app, they, they released a new version of that app over the summer, and the new version is way, way better than what they had before because I had the old version, 
it wasn't so good. This new version is a it's a much better app. And yeah, and all this Radio Barca content that they provide in all the various languages, it's really really cool. You should check it out. But anyway, go on. Yeah. So um, so again, uh, listening to the game. Um, you know, I saw, so I listened to the game, I watched the highlights and I watched the extended highlights. My three things of this match, obviously Rakitic playing amazing in this match. Um, and you know why Rakitic played better is because he didn't have to worry about his right back. Yeah. Samedo. Are you kidding me? The, the radio people were talking so much about how he was playing that when I watched the highlights, it's amazing how a great defender makes everyone better. So now Rakitic doesn't have to worry about so much tracking back that he can focus on his job as a midfielder. And I, I was reading a tweet. It was just saying, who is this Rakitic guy now? You know, it's just like, he, he just looks like a, like a, you know, he's always been a solid player, but there's been a couple games where he didn't look too good, a little shaky on defense, but now he feels confident with Semedo back there. Not only his physicality, how he can run back very quickly, that Rakitic can just focus. And you, you're, if he makes passes like he did with Messi on that first goal, he's going to have a great season. Yeah, absolutely. And I was super impressed with Semedo myself. I, I was I made a list of things I really liked about what he did. He was reading threats really well. His ability to read the game and anticipate threats and things like that. Fantastic. He he put out a lot of fires just knowing where to be and being ahead of things. He showed a lot of good skill, exactly the kind of thing that you would want from a Barcelona player. Like no matter what position you're in, you're good on the ball and you have good skill. And he was making really good decisions even under pressure. You know, where, whether to play it back out, uh, even at one point he was really pushed far back and he still kept his cool. He just sort of drew the ball back a yard, half a yard, managed to get it out of the uh, danger zone because he didn't have a clear outlet. Everyone was closing him down. So he was making really, really good decisions and he was getting forward well. And again, like you were saying, with his speed. Uh, he's so great to have in that right back position. And I'm also really glad that Sergio Roberto doesn't have to do it now. Exactly. And I mean, you just see the chain reaction that happens. Now, PK knows that Semedo is super fast, so he can not take as many chances. And then that chain reacts to Titi. And now, like, how good did Alba look? Yeah, Alba was on fire. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. Like, when the defense has that confidence, it just gives everyone that boost, right? I mean, seriously, how good did they look yesterday? I mean, like they looked really on top of not only the high pressing, that obviously there was a couple shots here and there that Espanol had that they had a couple opportunities, but they didn't make them. But for the most part, Barcelona dominated the part the match through and through. And it's just a chain reaction of having solid defense going to the midfield, midfield going to the front. Now, uh, what did you think about uh, De La Feo's performance? I thought De La Feo's performance was actually really good. Um, the other thing, too, again, I owe, you know you know how much I preach this. When Messi occupies that right space cutting in, it gives us so much advantage. Think about how the goal happened, that first goal with Rakitic. He came from the right side, cut into the middle, into the box. When he's playing middle and carrying to the left, that gives the defense an easier time. So this 4-3-3 that they played yesterday, De La Feu occupied his space. He had some good runs. Um, you know, 
we're going to see he's going to have a competition now with Dembele. So we're going, they're going to push each other, and we're going to see who's the better man now, huh? Right, I guess so. Yeah, because I was thinking about Delafeu, and I really like him. Um, I would say that he's not very inventive, but he is very disciplined, and he works really hard. He is fast, and he runs hard. Um, but he was having a little bit of trouble getting around Aaron, the defender for Espanol. And I think uh, Delafeu was getting a little bit hard on himself at times for not being able to beat him. And I think maybe if there's any real like weakness in Delafeu's game is actually that I think, I'm, I'm not a psychoanalyst or anything, but I think he just gets in his own head, right? And he gets in his own way because of that. So maybe just the inner game is like his biggest I- issue. But then again, like I was also noticing a lot of times he would sort of stop the play. And I don't know if he was trying to hold it up for some other reason. But then, you know, kind of like Neymar can do that. You know, he'll stop you dead and then just beat you. But I don't know. Delafeo, that's not really his strength. I think he's better when he's running. You know, he's like the Sundance kid. He's better when he moves. In the 43rd minute, I saw a little bit of action where he had a better idea. He was trying to run on the ball, keep the play moving, and I was happy to see that. So, I mean, I think he's going to keep developing and he's going to keep working on his game. He is still young. I mean, he's as a in terms of skills, he's pretty well developed at 23, but I think tactically he could still stand to learn and improve. So, we'll see what this what this year has for him. Yeah, I mean, we're going to, you know, the thing is he just doesn't want to screw up for Messi. Right. Like that's ultimately like what he's trying not to do. And once he starts playing and not thinking so much, then we'll be able to see a little bit more. I'm interested to see how Delafeu comes out of this competition with Dembele, because that's really what it's going to come down to, um, how they push each other and practice and who Val Green picks ultimately for his big matches. So uh, just Overall, I would say a good performance by Delafeu. Now, what about Dembele? Obviously, he had a really good assist uh, for Suarez to give Suarez his one and only goal of the game. But it was a beautiful assist. It was a really good run. He had good vision. Uh, yeah. So when we were driving down, my dad was asking me, he's like, oh, what do you think of Ter Stegen? And I'm like, this guy is amazing. If you watch this goal from the start, Ter Stegen's pass is so delicate. It's like a feather. It drops right over the Espanol's foot. And then Messi releases Dembele, and then Dembele hits Suarez, tic-tac-toe, goal, you know? But for me, it starts with Ter Stegen's pass. That pass is so delicate. To be able to pass like that, like 40 yards on a dime like that, for me, is super impressive. Then obviously the speed of Dembele to give to Suarez. I I read today uh, Dembele's quotes after the game, and Suarez basically told him, pass me the ball, I'm going to score. And Dembele is like, uh, okay, thanks. Uh, you know, uh, so so Dembele just did that, and Suarez scored on that goal. But if obviously, you see the wicked speed that Dembele has on that play with Semedo and Dembele. If they play on that right side, yeah, they're going to be tearing that's all just, kinds of teams the, apart with that. Exactly. Exactly. So my final thoughts on this match were, yeah, a hat trick for Messi, which is fantastic. We love Messi. We love hat tricks. You put the two together, it's like peanut butter and chocolate. Now, all of these goals that Messi scored, though, all of them, in my view, were were not coming from his individual brilliance. You know, sometimes there are those games, and we've seen a couple of those games in the the not-too-distant past, where Messi just stepped up and made a goal happen. And he can do that. He has that kind of individual brilliance. But these goals didn't come from that. You know, we know he's capable of it, but they all came from high-intensity, well-executed, fast-thinking collective 
play. So this team is really getting back into some solid form. They've recovered from Neymar's departure, I think. Valverde is instituting some much-needed discipline, it appears, and asking for more intensity, and he's getting it. And their collective effort is starting to really gel, and he's utilizing his squad very effectively, getting rest for key players. Like, he he brought Busquets off and put Paulinho on, and initially my thought was, what? You don't do that. You don't take Busquets off. But then I remembered, oh yeah, they're playing Juventus on like Tuesday. So maybe that's actually not a bad idea. Plus they're ahead three goals. Um, and he also gave Iniesta some some uh, some rest, rotating him out. So he's rotating Delefeu and Dembele. He's showing he has options on the right. And like we've already talked about with Semedo, he's got a strong attack coming down that right side. So I really think that Valverde has gotten this group together and those new signings Semedo, Dembele, Delefeu, they're all showing up there and they're all contributing to this collective effort, which is what I love to see most. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I was I was struggling with this because they played so well yesterday. And after we've been complaining, screaming and yelling about all the bad transfers we didn't get. Right. So it goes to show that Val Green kind of knows what he's doing you know he he's 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 a smart dude you know he's a smart cat it's like he's managed before yeah it's like he's managed a team before i think the biggest difference between this team so far and obviously luis enriquez of maybe the last two seasons is the two things the high pressing better more collectively and also just more um organized in the back um those are the two things so Obviously, if we p- keep pitching shutouts that we've been doing, because in this type of game, last year we would have won four to two type of thing. You know what I'm saying? But now that we're actually pitching shutouts, that to me, like I always said in the previous podcast, I always look for that because we're, I know we're, we can always score goals with Messi and Suarez. But for me, it's just keeping the goal uh, at a minimum and keeping those clean sheets. All right. So speaking of Juventus. Our first Champions League match is coming up on uh, Tuesday, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday, against Juventus. Obviously, last year, Juventus is the uh, club who eliminated Barcelona from the Champions League uh, after the huge uh, comeback against Paris Saint-Germain. But um, yeah, Juventus sort of turned that into a bit of a moot point, and then they got their asses handed to them by Real Madrid in the final. But So here we are. We're in group stage going up against Juventus. Uh, what are you expecting to see? What do you think? Um, well, first of all, I have a question. Is there any better sports theme song than the Champions League song? I love that song. It's really epic. Yes. Uh, my classical music training is uh, <laughs> it does kick in a little bit when I hear it and I – and I think, oh, okay, yeah, I, know, I know exactly what uh, what they're pulling from there. No, it's awesome. It's the kind of, like if I were in, I can imagine if I were in the stadium and during the lineups that music was playing, I would the hairs on the back of my neck would absolutely be standing up. It's it's totally epic music. I, I would cry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I would cry because I love Champions League so much. Um, you know, this is going to be a really good test for Barcelona, especially early in the ch- uh, Champions campaign. Um, I'm curious to see how we're going to match up against Juve. So they're playing the match in the Camp Nou. So I'm curious to see what Val Green uses uh, tactically, 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3. I think at home he's going to start with the 4-3-3. I'm curious to see how they perform against Juventus, who's a really, really organized defensive team but i think uh barcelona should get the victory and get a good start to the champions campaign 
Yeah. Now, next weekend in La Liga, uh, going up against Hetafe. So in my experience, Hetafe will usually play Barcelona very defensively. They'll park the bus, you know, put nine, ten guys behind the ball, and that can be really hard to break down, though we often do manage to break it down. But uh, what are your thoughts on the, the next league match? So the next – so Hetafe is a suburb in Madrid, so – uh, they'll definitely have a lot of support at the game, first of all. Um, second of all, yeah, Hetafe is the typical bottom-of-the-table team that will park the bus. Uh, hopefully Barcelona will find the key to that combination to break through. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't see them losing that match. Maybe it's going to be a difficult match at the beginning, physical, um, just like any bottom-of-the-table team, team would play, physical, um, more defensive, counterattack style. But I just think... Barcelona's talent is far superior. Um, Hitafe is their first time back uh, after being demoted. So they are just looking to survive right now in La Liga. So I don't think Barcelona should have a problem with Hitafe. Yeah, and this will be an interesting case to test uh, your theory. Not a theory you have, but just your concerns about how Barcelona do on the road. So they're, they're going to be traveling to Madrid or just outside of Madrid to play Hetafe, and uh, this is their first away game of the of the Liga campaign. So we'll see how they do when they're on the road, and that hopefully will give us a give us a little preview of what we can expect to see moving forward. But again, you know, after this this weekend, I'm feeling much more confident. I, as a fan, I'm feeling much more stable with just the club. Well, not the club, but the squad. The squad, yeah. No, definitely. And the other thing, too, is, you know, like we said, um, Val Green is is going to be using the bench a little bit more, having more flexibility in the tactics and options. And so that's what you just want to see. You just don't want to see someone like uh, Arsene Wenger on, on Arsenal, where it's just like the insanity of the same terrible lineup and keep losing big matches. So Val Green, you're doing well so far. Let's see. Keep it up. I'm just... Get that victory against Juventus. I just want to see a, a solid victory on the Champions League. What would be your lineup pick for the game against Juventus? Would Would you want to see anything different from this Espanol match? No, I would start with the same. I would start with the same, and then bring and then bring in Dembele again off the bench as a spark plug. Um, if Delafeu doesn't have a good first half, maybe bring Dembele in the second half. But I think the same starting lineup. Uh, from Saturday should be a pretty quality squad. I think Semedo just makes us so much more dangerous and so much better defensively that, um, yeah, I just think Delafeu just has a little bit more experience, so just keep rolling with that team. All right, everybody, that's it for today, this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and thanks to everyone, again, who uh, contacted us. Doesn't matter how you do it, we will respond. We do read your messages. You can email us. You can reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, even Instagram. Just send a DM on Instagram, and we pay attention to all of that, and we want to build more and more community with you guys, the listeners, and us, because we're all Barcelona fans. We're all in this together as Barcelona fans. So we're looking forward to the games against Juventus and then Getafe, and we're going to talk about that next week on Barca Talk. Until then, have a great week, everybody. And remember, uh, if you can, help out everyone affected by Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma. Give money. It really helps. 
You'll hear from us again next week. This is Barca Talk. I'm Brian. This is Gabriel Quiroga from beautiful San Dimas. <laughs> All right. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network.